0: Good morning. Been at Canoga all week uh, with the Renewal Conference. So if I burst into flames or if I start to dance up here, chalk that up to the Renewal Conference. I ended last week's sermon with a prayer by a preacher from uh, Minnesota, a guy named Rob Bell, and the prayer ended with, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And my point then was about discipleship, and that was that uh, the good news is that with Christ in us or God's promise of his Holy Spirit in us, that we would have what it takes to be disciples. You see, there's nothing we can do to get ready to be disciples, I was saying. It was simply that God, by his mercy, pours his Spirit into us, and then we're prepared to be disciples and to go out and make disciples of all nations. So the truth is that by putting his Spirit in us, that God is the one doing the work. We respond to God because he first loved us, right? Amen? Romans 10, 9 makes that clear. It says um, that while we were still sinners, God shows his love for us by uh, Christ dying for us. So God's the actor. We're the reactor in the equation. His loving grace always precedes our actions. So if last week's sermon could be titled The How-To to Discipleship, then this week's sermon, based on our short gospel reading, I believe, could be titled the because, the because of discipleship, or to put it another way, the why, why of discipleship. Funny thing, though, last week, 39 lines, 39 verses to learn uh, the how-to, right? This week, only two uh, to learn the because, so I know you're all breathing a sigh of relief. Okay, this ought to be short. A quick sidebar, both the Old Testament, that that beautiful story about Abraham and Isaac um, and Abraham's faithfulness, and the psalm today, verse 5, both speak or contain the because. And the because of discipleship, I think, can be best understood as God's, get ready, chesed. God's chesed. It's a Hebrew word. Um, I've got a love-hate relationship with Hebrew. I, uh, it really does look like ants crawling across a page, doesn't it? Someone said, you know, right before the first class, it looks like ants. And it does. It, it, and it's, um, it's read from right to left and it's read backwards. Uh, there's my short uh, teaching on Hebrew right there. But um, I had a, an amazing professor. She was a, a Presbyterian um, and um, a Stoic. She didn't suffer fools very well. Enter Gary Beeson. And um, I never got her to really laugh. She'd make fun of me toward the end of the three years I was there, but I, I never really got her to laugh. Anyway, Lots of people ask me, why do you have to take those old languages? You know, why go to seminary? It's 2014. Why take Hebrew and Greek? Well, uh, I'll give you a quick example. In the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth uh, is uh, brought back to Israel uh, by her mother-in-law, and there she encounters Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, and and he's the Christ figure in this Old Testament story. And at one point in the story, the, the English says, Ruth was so grateful that Boaz was going to let her work in the fields that she bowed to thank him. She bowed. Well, the Hebrew word there it doesn't mean bowed. The Hebrew word there means she got down on her knees and then fell on her face in the dust and was essentially thanking him for saving her life. The big difference between, oh, thank you very much for the nice meal, and I think you've saved my life. And so learning Hebrew taught me to, to dig a little deeper in the Scripture and not just rely on our, on our English language. So this Hebrew word, chesed, I, I believe, and Erica Moore believes best, is translated into God's covenant faithfulness. Say it one time with me, chesed. That's good. You can get it in the back of your throat, chesed. God's covenant faithfulness. I want you to remember that as I go through this this morning. And this is how I, want, I, I believe God wants us to understand discipleship and mission. Here it is. Because he alone, God, the great I am, is faithful to His promises and covenants, and because that faithfulness is bounded in His unimaginable and exceedingly great love, as Paul beautifully says in Ephesians 3. Listen to these words. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and understanding, that you may be filled with the fullness of the Most High God. We can see contained in the meaning of the word chesed are his promises, his promises that he will rescue He will be with us. He will comfort us. He will sustain us. And most importantly for discipleship, he will give us his power and his words. In other words, because God is who he is, we can be certain that we will be, through Jesus, the disciples we need to be, even when we're not trying. And that's the point of that prayer last week. And I believe that some of us actually believe that, right? We believe that God is the one doing all the work and setting the agenda, amen? Okay, well, let me give you an example about God uh, giving me the power and the words. I was flying back last year, a week before my mother died on an airplane, and I am, I am your worst nightmare on an airplane. I'm one of those people that loves to talk to my neighbor. Uh, I'll, I'll strike up a conversation with anybody, old, young, it doesn't matter, I'll play with cars or I'll play, you know, Whatever. Um, so I'm flying back from South Carolina knowing that my mother is going to die and I'm seated on on a row in the middle and I'm a pretty big guy, you can tell, between two people and I notice the row in front of me, there's only one person, a small woman, seated next to the window. She's seated next to the window and there's two open seats to sit next to her. So once we get airborne, I ask the flight attendant, I say, would it be okay if I get that woman's permission that I move up and sit on the aisle? I'll still leave the middle seat. And she said, "Sure, if she doesn't mind." And I asked her, and she said, "No, move up." And she had her people magazines and she had her earphones on. And it really, this was the one time that I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was I'm, I was grieving. I was already grieving that my mother was going to die. And so I ordered something from the beverage cart and finished that. And then realized it was about five p.m. And the Lord spoke and said, "Let's spend some time together. Why don't you get your prayer book out?" And uh, let's do the evening prayer. That's one of the beautiful things about Anglicanism is that we have this rhythm to our lives if we'll follow it morning and evening prayer. So I, I gave my, my drink back, and I, I put my prayer book down in my lap, and as I was sitting there getting ready to open it to page, I think, 66, uh, this woman pulls her earphones out frantically, leans over and goes, are you a priest? And I go, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just a seminarian. I'm at a small school in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. I'm not a priest. And I thought, okay, that'll assuage her. She'll leave me alone. And so then I, I opened the book uh, to whatever the beginning of evening prayer is. And she leans back over again. She goes, I'm living in sin. <laughs> I said, well, I just told you I'm not a priest. I can't, I, I can't absolve you. I, I can pray with you. I can, I can hold your hand and pray with you. And before I got those words completed, she began to pour her whole life out about what was happening in her life, why she had made a mistake moving in with a man seven years ago, how it was affecting her 11-year-old child, on and on and on she went. I didn't have to say anything. I just kind of sat there in shock, gripping my prayer book, hoping it would end. And um, so finally, we we did. We prayed together. And that's I said, you know, we can pray for your forgiveness. We can pray that your life will change. We can pray that people from your church may come alongside you and help you in this. But that was an example of God giving me the words and the power uh, as a disciple. So let's look at the two verses of our gospel in Matthew. Verse 41 says, the one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. Thank you, Carrie. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So I want to look at the because. And let's look at for a second at how Jesus says this because plays out in the church um, that needs to be said in the church. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this text, but these words are just as applicable for us, the church, today. There's a danger doing that, taking everything in the Bible and trying to apply it. Uh, that's this. In this case, though, I feel like this is warranted because Jesus is speaking to us. Excuse me, us as the church. So the encouragement and the promises that he's giving his disciples here at the end of Matthew are, are words for our community as we look today toward mission. Um, The first line, verse 41, tells us that apostles and missionary are the same as the one who sends them. They're like ambassadors, Jesus says. You're going in the name of the president, or you're going in the name of the king. Uh, Again, not so much a word or exclusively a word for the disciples, but it is a promise to all believers, I believe, um, that we can be part of God's mission by serving as missionaries or disciples. Because God's mission, the missio dei, if you will, is always to be looking outward and always to be seeking those who are not yet in the kingdom. You could say that God's hesed or his faithfulness is the driving force behind the mission of the church. Do you see that? I wonder if we think about that often, that it is this power inside of our lives that moves us in the direction that God wants us to go. I was at Kanuga like I said, this week and listening some teaching and I, uh, I felt like the Lord was giving me our mission statement for St. Timothy's. I'm the one tasked with or called by the Lord to leave this family at St. Paul's that I love, that is so dear and comfortable to me, and go over to a new land, oh, it's only six miles away, um, to Cane Bay and plant this church. And so as I was listening to the speaker, I, I tapped my wife on the shoulder and I said, I think I've got the, I I've got the mission statement for St. Timothy's church. And she turned around with big eyes and a smile and she said, really, what is it? I said, St. Timothy's church, we want to be different. And she rolled her eyes and went, try again, try again. (laughs) But I I really think we do. I think we at St. Paul's and I really think the people that are called out there at St. Timothy's do want to be different. We don't want to act like the rest of the world. And I'm not talking about difference for difference sake. I'm not saying we're just going to do crazy things to draw attention to ourselves. Um, But rather that we align ourselves with Jesus, our rabbi, and that will be the difference. Because the story about God in mission is always a story about community. Richard Hayes writes this about God, mission, and community. Richard Hayes writes, A new community which is a contrast. I'll, I'll, St. Timothy's is a new community which is a contrast to society. There it is. It is out of sync with the normal order of the world. The community of Jesus' followers lives in anticipation of the ultimate restoration by God. They do things of Jesus because of the transformative nature of his teaching. Thus, generous people practice and become generous, merciful people, practice mercy, and become merciful, joyful people the same. We want to be a people, St. Timothy's and St. Paul's, of transformed characters, which ultimately means transformed hearts. It takes time. It's, it's the crockpot Christian. It's the one that grows over time. It's the, it's the seed that falls on good soil. And we also need to be aware in our in our Verses today that all of Matthew's Gospels, and especially these verses, contain, here's a big seminary word, eschatological certainty, dun, dun, dun. eschatological the future. All, Matthew's writing to the believers as an evangelist about the sure and certain hope that Christ will come again. We say it in our, in our Eucharistic prayers, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again because of his covenant faithfulness. Christ will come again because of his covenant faithfulness. So Jesus is made manifest in you and I when we embody this belief. So Christ inside of us compels us to act and serve in certain ways that demonstrate Christ to the world. Where's Jesus, some say? Well, he's right here. We're the body of Christ becoming the disciples. We read about that last week and we read it again this week. We're becoming the shepherds of the flock. That's what he's telling his disciples. The Old Testament is replete with uh, stories about the, the the shepherds who were leading the nation of Israel in the wrong direction, and Jesus now in the New Testament is saying, "I am the good shepherd, and you can be good shepherds too." Finally, for verse forty-one, Michael Green says that mission is Jesus-shaped. I like this. Last week we heard that whoever acknowledges you acknowledges me. Jesus said that to his disciples last week in verse thirty-two. So the shape of mission, in Green's opinion, looks and reflects the person and work of Jesus. You're going to love this. Green gives us five qualities for mission, or five qualities uh, of Jesus. And I think they coincidentally look exactly like St. Paul's clergy, and I'm not saying that because I'm standing up here. I wasn't here when this decision was made to move out at St. Timothy's. And also, uh, St. Paul's vestry and St. Paul's body. I think these you can see these in the way St. Paul's is, is moving. The, the five qualities are, we see. We, we, as the body of Christ, see something out there. Something attracts our attention. We're outward-focused people, so we're looking outward. We see that there's going to be this new community. We see that there will be houses and families who don't go to church, and we want them to enjoy uh, a relationship with Jesus like we have, which means we care. We see them, and then we care. We have empathy. Jesus, Think about Jesus as he walked through, uh, as, you, as you read the New Testament. I mean, it's all qualities of Christ, seeing, caring. We pray. So we, we see, we care, we pray. And then we receive. This is this is paramount. We receive training. I went to seminary. I've read books. I've been with a church plant for two years. I've been training. I've received training. But here's the best. We receive authority. And I'm not talking about authority from the bishop or from Mike or the vestry. I'm talking about authority from on high. We receive the authority from the one who was and is and is to come, to go out there and, and preach the good news and to act differently in that community. And finally, we go. We go. As much as I don't want to go, I'm really comfortable right here. We are going to go. We're going to go over there and start worshiping in November. Excuse me. And um, there will be a church out there. There will be a church out there. So all five of these qualities are forms of service and mission, and they're all equally important. You see, if you want to be a missionary, you could, be, you could fall into any one of these categories. You don't have to be the one that goes to Honduras, although, praise God, we have people going. Um, you, can, you can do any of these five things and be considered a missionary. And that's, a, I think, a sign of a healthy church, that we're baptizing infants and adults, that we're marrying people like we did yesterday, we're sending people to seminary, we're sending missionaries out. That's the life of the church. It's not just... Um, giving food when it's needed or just doing medical clinic both both valuable, valuable outreaches important outreaches but it's the day to day it's that coming and going of the lives of the people in, in, those, uh, in those acts so verse 42 and then I'll wrap up um, when, let me tell you when Matthew s- says little ones um, you've heard Jesus say it a lot in the different gospels when Jesus says little ones he's not always talking about children he is talking about people with childlike faith though that's a key for Jesus. It's not somebody who's puffed up or who's gone to seminary or who study all, all day and all night the scriptures. It is people that come to Christ with a faith that believes he will do what he says, that they believe in his covenant faithfulness. And when Jesus says little ones, he's pointing to the novice disciples. These are newbies. These are the guys at the bottom of the chain and prophets and missionaries. He wants his hearers then, like I want you all to know now, that... No one who says they follow Jesus is excluded because his chesed love is in us. It moves us to behave like him. And secondly, I want to make one point about the gift that says in the second part of that verse. I want to make the point that it's not the size of the gift, but the intention that stands behind it. So I think Jesus says in the verse, a cold cup of water. So that's a pretty small thing, but not to a person who's really thirsty on a hot day. Um, I went to seminary three years ago, and Many, many of you supported Sue and I financially, and it was one of the hardest things in the world to send a letter out after living in this community and driving nice cars and and pretending that um, I, I was wealthy beyond my means and had it all together. We, we were doing great. I mean, we were doing fine financially, but uh, I really didn't want to humble myself and send letters out and ask for money. I did anyway, uh, and there was a person in this congregation, I, I called him and he gave me permission, who supported us in the beginning monthly Uh, a certain amount it was three figures and it was it was regular it came month after month and we stayed in contact with each other I've known this person for 20 years and we've served together here at St. Paul's well about a year and a half into being there and so he would have deposited 18 checks here at St. Paul's he called and said I think I'm going to double it I was like oh for Pete's sake don't, no, you're already doing too much. Every time I see it, every time Carrie tells me the money's come in, I just, I just I, I feel ashamed. I'm like, I shouldn't be taking this person's money. Um, anyway, it happened. He, so he started to double it. Now it was $600 a month. That's, I mean, you guys know $600 a month is a lot. Well, I, I met this person last summer, just a year ago, and when I saw him in person, I just broke down in tears. And I looked at him and I said, I can't take it anymore. Your generosity is killing me if I fail out, I mean, because I'm close. If I, you know, one more, Greek, one more Greek class, and I could be back in Somerville, you're be begging my brother for a job. I'll let, I'll let you down. I mean, I, I just can't, it's, the pressure was too much. I mean, it was really too much. And so um, I poured my heart out to him. I got done. He gave me probably a Kleenex or something. And um, he looked right at me, and, and he said, and he was smiling when he said this. He said, I'm, I'm not giving it to you. I'm giving it to Jesus. He, he meant that. It wasn't just, some, I mean, you don't give somebody that much money that long without me ever breaking down or you breaking, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, he was doing it for, for a whole bigger, grander reason. He, he didn't, he wasn't looking for a return in his investment. He'd already gotten a return on his investment. He's got eternal life. He, he didn't need, he, anyway, I, I, and I, I believed him. I actually believed him. I get a little choked up just talking about it. But that's what Jesus is saying. It's not the size. A cup of water, six hundred dollars a month, you know, half my rent. Or I, it's it's uh, it's the intent with which it is given. Well, let me close with this. Um, we do say weekly that Christ will return, so we do believe in God's covenant faithfulness. We believe in His Chesed. And remember last week that I said that disciples could only be disciples by the power of his Holy Spirit, which was the answer to the question, how can we be disciples? Well, this week I want you to remember the because. We can be disciples, how we can be disciples is by his Holy Spirit. And because is due to God's chesed love. So I want to ask the Lord to bury those two truths deep in your heart. It is nothing that you will do. It is not coming to church. It is not reading your Bible every day. Please keep it up. Uh, But it is all God's grace. It is God's grace in the form of his Holy Spirit, and it's God's grace in the form of his never-ending, unimaginable, chesed love for us. It's his Spirit and his covenant faithful love, by his Spirit and his covenant faithful love, we all are able to be empowered to be disciples, and as we love to say around here, impact the world in his name. Amen.